May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. This night we remember. Tomorrow we grieve. Sunday we rejoice. But this night we remember. The Jewish Passover was never just remembering, however. It was a renewal for each of them to make his or her own the covenant which God made with his chosen people after he delivered them from Egypt. And there is always a command associated with remembering and with a covenant. This is called Maundy Thursday. Maundy, the English somehow got from the Latin mandatum. Each covenant as a command. Each covenant is also sealed in blood. So we might call it Bloody Thursday. There's a lot of blood in the readings of the first Passover and of the second Passover. It's not politically correct. It's not enlightened philosophy. It's very down to earth. Life is in the blood. At the first Passover, God, or the angel of death, as the later uh, Deuteronomy puts it, killed the oppressors. The Hebrews had to confess by marking their doorposts. So each of them who took the lamb, they had to mark the blood on their doorposts. And I'm sure there were doubters and skeptics among them. What if nothing happens? And many of them were servants in Egyptian households and had to stick their necks out, at least to profess that they were part of the Hebrew people and that they believed that God was going to deliver them. They were spared from God's vengeance. They were liberated by the blood of the Lamb. Those who did not mark their doorposts were not liberated. They passed over. First, the angel of death passed them over on Passover night, and they passed over the Red Sea, and they were free. Then they made a covenant with God at Sinai, at which point he gave them his commandments, his Ten Commandments. Why? This was to preserve the covenant which God had made with Abraham, to liberate his chosen people so that they would not become indistinguishable from the other peoples of the world because God's promise of a Messiah, which he originally made to Adam, had to reach its fulfillment. The second Passover we heard described in the reading from Corinthians, where Paul said, I received from the Lord what I now pass on to you, what Jesus did at the Last Supper with his disciples. I received from the Lord Paul didn't say, Peter and the other apostles taught me about this. He said, I received it from the Lord, and I pass it on to you. We know that Paul went to meet with Peter and James in Jerusalem after he had already been preaching Jesus for several years, not to see if he was right, but just kind of to see if they were all on the same page. History has it, or at least tradition, that Paul spent about three years in the desert after his conversion, during which time 
he was instructed by Jesus. It's not just a sacrament of the real presence. It is a new covenant made on our behalf with God by the new Adam, who is Jesus. Just as in Adam all of sin, so in Christ, the second Adam, all atonement is made for all. So it's kind of the order is kind of switched around here. This time, first we had the meal, and then on Good Friday we had the sacrifice. God offered his son, his son offered himself as the lamb. So in this case, the innocent one is killed by the evildoers, not the evildoers being killed by a holy God. You can deliver a people from oppression by force, but you could not reconcile humanity with God by force. It had to be the free offering by a descendant of Adam made on our behalf freely. Perfect obedience offered to God as a sacrifice for the, by a descendant of Adam to atone for the sin of Adam and his descendants. Against the culmination of the collected evil of all of Satan's revolt and Adam's split with God. We are spared from God's final vengeance. We are saved by the blood of the Lamb and washed by the blood. In John's Gospel, we see what also happened that evening, before, after, nobody knows. Completes the picture of the new covenant, though, with the new command that goes with that covenant. The first uh, teaching moment. For this command, God did not come down from a mountaintop with stone tablets. He got down on his knees. Fully aware... It's very, very explicit. Jesus was fully aware of who he was, where he came from, where he was going. He was fully aware that he was going to be betrayed. He was fully aware that this was going to cost him his life, and yet he deliberately assumes the role of a servant and washed their feet. Why? Were the clean feet that important? I don't think so. What impression do you think it made on the disciples when Jesus started to do this? They were dumbfounded. They couldn't believe their eyes. They resisted. They perhaps remembered their squabbles of who was the greatest among them. And Jesus had told them then that he who is the greatest among you should be the servant of all. And so here he was. He was doing that. Why do we reenact that? Is it to follow Jesus' example? It's usually mentioned that it's to sort of let us practice a little humility with leaders. But just remember, Jesus said, I am the Master and the Lord. So your Master and Lord, or at least we have some authority, your Rector has authority over you, rightly so. And yet he is to be the servant of all, and we are to wash one another's feet. Later, I think the disciples realized this was to be a spiritual cleansing in light of the shed blood of Jesus, which was to come. And the following scriptures are full of references to being sanctified or cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. Peter has it in his first letter, Revelations chapter 7, Revelations chapter 12, among others, mentioned being cleansed 
by the blood of the Lamb. The shed blood gave him power not just to save, but to cleanse completely. And so that is why you should come forward to have your feet washed, asking in faith that Jesus would cleanse you completely. This is a symbolic act. This is what the Catholics would call, and probably the Anglo-Catholics, a sacramental action with a little s, not a big s. But it's a symbolic action, and it's meant to bring you more grace. The new command, each command involved a promise, deliverance, and the command to love one another as I have loved you, as I have just shown you. I don't think we have more than a clue how much Jesus loves us. I am sure that we don't. I think when we see him face to face, we are going to be completely blown away by the sense of how much he loves us. When we see Jesus face to face, we have no idea of the holiness of God either in Jesus. And one reaction is going to imagine a situation where you suddenly realize that this person you've resented, this parent or this child whom you thought didn't really love you, really did. And all of a sudden you realize, I had no idea. It was all my misperception. I think we're going to feel a lot of that when we come into Jesus' presence. And so, as I recall, I did on one occasion, I just said, I'm sorry, Lord. I just didn't know. The love of God is strong. It is also a cleansing fire. That is why John in his first epistle could say, when we see him, we shall become like him because we shall see him as he is. So we can start now by loving one another as Jesus commanded. We can get our hands dirty. We can get down on our knees if that's what it takes, whatever your neighbor needs. Amen.